Welcome to Off the Bench with Danny Cannell. Danny Cannell. Back to throw versus Danny. Pete is tight end. And Raja Bell. Bell has done 22 to Raja. Saw the future of football right before your eyes. Just yell it out, man. He can't me. Welcome back to another episode of Off the Bench with Cannell and Bell. Uh, Danny is back from this big baller status type apartment slash penthouse in Manhattan. Welcome back, bro. Hey, kudos to CBS for hooking me up. I got the room. I actually, all I have to do, I just have to push the button. The screens unfold. I got a nice view of Midtown, Midtown Manhattan. So CBS doing me right on this trip. Such a baller you are. So I got, I got a question for you. Huh? So I, I have, uh, so I have this dinner tonight and it's, it's, I'm at this college football seminar. So it's all like the talent for college football is here. So you've got other analysts like Gary Danielson will be here. Uh, Nestler will be here. All the guys that call the games. Then you also have the producers and the directors. And so we're doing this where you go over all the ins and outs of like the games and you go over the new rule changes in college football. But tonight we're going to dinner and I just found this out because I didn't really, I wasn't really paying attention to the orientation. We're going to dinner at a place called Spin. Yeah. And apparently it's like a ping pong place, like where they have all, it's like a, like a lucky strike lane, yeah. except it's for ping pong. So here's my question to you. Do I go, do I go all in like competitive, Danny? Cause I'm pretty competitive. Like no. I like, you no. the same way. Like you're Easy playing answer. sports and stuff. No. <laughs> just go low key. Like just keep it friendly. Go chill, Danny, bro. Go socially, like social <laughs> drink. Like just happy to be here. Let's make friends, Danny. Bad, bad Don't be news. talking trash. Do that. <laughs> Don't I'll do be that. sweating. If I went competitive, Danny, I would be sweating because ping pong can get pretty active. So I'll go low key for sure. All right. Well, look, <laughs> you you take it easy on everybody tonight. As far as the show goes today, we got some injury updates from training camp. Um, the Lakers, people are doubting the Lakers apparently. Um, some sad news from the world of college football um, and some other stuff. But let's get, let's hop right into it, Danny, because it's a source of like consternation for you a lot about quarterbacks, uh, especially playing in preseason games. But this is a practice injury where Ben Roethlisberger uh, is reported to be in concussion protocol after taking a hit in practice. So when I saw this news come out, Raj, I was like, all right, I got to find what the heck happened. Like, why is anybody laying a finger on Ben Roethlisberger? Like, because you're thinking concussions, it's helmet to helmet. You know, something happened along those lines. But apparently he just ran into his teammate. And like you, I've seen concussions in walkthroughs, like guys without helmets, guys will bump heads like just by accident. I mean, it kind of accidents happen. But for Roethlisberger... It is a little bit concerning, especially considering his history of concussions. I mean, I remember a couple years ago he was playing the Seahawks, and he actually took himself out of the game, which was a first because you really don't see that. My hunch is it's probably not very serious. It's real precautionary. He walked off the field on his own power, and basically it'll give the Steelers an opportunity to give him some rest. They won't feel pressure to play him now. But this goes to my point, Raj. If you have a franchise quarterback who you know is your future, who know is your guy without question, and Roethlisberger obviously falls in that category, I would not let him see the field for one play in preseason. I would not let him see the field at all because when you get these concussions, a lot of times they start to happen easier. Like it, it just, it's a weird trend. That's what happened to Steve right. Young at the end of his career. You just, once you get the like one and then you just start getting, and sometimes all it takes is a minor hit. Then you're concussed, and if I'm the Steelers, I wouldn't even t- I wouldn't even put him out in the field. So let me ask you a question because there's been a rash of of uh, 
you know, kind of training camp injuries. I don't know if it's any more than, than usual, but you've got of these, of these injuries, which one is of most note other than, other than, uh, Ben Roethlisberger? You got Darius Geis with the Redskins as a knee, George Kittle for the 49ers shoulder, Matt Breida 49ers shoulder, uh, AQ Shipley with the Cardinals a knee, Marlon Mack hamstring, Rashad Penny now with the hand, Saquon, uh, Deion Kane with the ACL and Jason Verrett, uh, from the Chargers with an Achilles. Which one's the most important? It's easy, and you know this. I mean, it's always the ACL injury because that means you're gone for a year. Like that's the yeah. worst case scenario for an NFL player. And it's Darius Geis for the Redskins. He was their second round pick. He was a kid who I thought was going to come in and really have an impact immediately on their team. Like this is not just your average rookie. He dropped to the second round. I don't know if you remember this, but during the draft there were like some rumors. There was supposedly a TMZ report that he had like acted a fool, something like some stupid, and it like came out. It never came to fruition, but it happened on draft night, so his stock started dropping, and he had a few other running backs go ahead of him. But when he was at LSU, he was just as effective as Leonard Fournette. And we saw what Leonard Fournette did last year with the Jags. So him being out, it's always the nature of the injury, too. Like, it's not something minor. He's done. He's done for the year. So the Redskins are going to be without him. When I look at the rest of the list, I think that Rashad Penny injury that we just, you know, talked about that was uh, Hannah came in uh, in our News in 90 segment, that's a significant. Anytime you have surgery, like, that's something you don't want to see. And I think Seahawks, similarly had pretty big plans for him to run the ball a lot. So those are big. The Saquon Barkley, I know, had Giants fans like, "Uh uh-oh, what the heck, you know, that's our second overall pick. That one feels relatively minor. He's one of those guys that's so jacked up. You tweak something, just a little muscle here or there. Uh, It's sort of probably normal protocol for him to undergo those types of injuries. So you'll rest him and make sure you don't rush him. But I would say easily it's Darius, guys. That, That type of injury is the worst case scenario. So, I, look, I don't know exactly what's happened in terms of training camp with the NFL teams, but the NBA, they've shortened, like, preseason games. They've shortened training camp. They've done a lot. And you've talked about them kind of scaling back from the two-a-days. Is it still too much in the NFL, the, the the workload before the season starts, in your opinion? No. So here's here's what I think happens. I think what happens is we they have so much less practices. They're only allowed, I think, 15 OTAs throughout the offseason that they're not in game shape, so they have to use training camp, camp to get in game shape. And so instead of coming in where they're kind of tuned, all of a sudden, and usually those OTAs are kind of 80% speed, you know, they don't have any contact. So then all of a sudden you go zero to 100 in the space of two or three days when you get into training camp. So that's a lot of times what I see these injuries occurring from. I think it's the, it's the result of the opposite, like the fact that they don't do enough in the offseason, all of a sudden they're slammed in there, they're thrown out there right to full speed drills and contact drills, and that's why you see so many of them. But I'd be curious to know from you, like, was it the same in the NBA? Because I'm not surprised at all by this list. I mean, every coach is like, we're going to lose guys. It's a battle yeah. of attrition, especially through training camp. What, like, I'm assuming you guys had similar, but they were probably what, hammies and groins and like just smaller type issues, ankle yeah. rolls. Is that, is that the type of stuff you guys were dealing with? Yeah, you get tweaks. Um, you know, every year there's probably a guy that goes down, but not nearly the amount or, or the severity, uh, of what you wind up with in football. But, uh, you know, everybody, you're going to get dinged up. Guys mispractice all the time. Like one year we lost Amari Stoudemire to like a really, really, like just weird eye injury where he was, we were in Tucson and he went for a ball and we wound up losing him for a whole season. Like that's, that's not the norm in basketball. You, you deal with your general, um, your general aches and pains, but not nearly anything like football. So that, that, that brings me to another thing. We'll get to read and react real quick, Danny, because Dwight Howard's trainer, uh, 
Ed Town says that Dwight wants to evolve into an Anthony Davis or Kevin Durant type player, but his own version of that. Uh, what are your first thoughts when you hear that? Uh, I give like a big eye roll. <laughs> like, yeah. come on, like for real. Like, it's great to hear it from his trainer, but like, can we hear it from Dwight Howard? Like, can we hear it from him? If I, I and this is the thing about Dwight Howard, like who was on the cusp of becoming this face of the NBA type player. I don't think he cares very much. I don't think he's invested very much in the last five or six years into his body, into his craft. And you're telling me that's going to change now all of a sudden? I just don't buy into Dwight Howard and everything he says. I want to see what he does when he actually gets on a court and gets on the team. Yeah, well, here's like what. So Dwight Howard, okay, yeah, you can be a version of Anthony Davis and Kevin Durant. Um, you'd be the version that really can't handle, can't shoot, or can't pass. You'd be like Dwight Howard, right? Like he... You, he, I, he actually does take care of his body. Like I know that he's in there working on his fitness level, but in terms of rounding out his skill set, um, I think he concerns himself like with the wrong parts of that. There was a time in the NBA where his like style of big was still in vogue, and that was when he had to capitalize on who he was physically um, and skill set wise. And he kind of missed that window of opportunity. Like you're not turning yourself into the prototypical big in today's NBA, like with this little bit of tread left on the tire, like the, the, it's gone. Like that window is closed. So, you know, be a rim run guy, catch it, dunk it, uh, block shots, rebound. Um, and there's still a place for you in the NBA, but trying to turn yourself into Anthony Davis or Kevin Durant at this time is a, it's a super silly thing for me, but I tease this off the top. Kyle Kuzma addressed the Lakers doubters. He says, we think, we think that a lot of people are underestimating us. It's definitely going to be fun playing with all of these new guys. Obviously they added, you know, LeBron, Lance Stevenson, JaVale McGee, Rondo, Michael Beasley, uh, and they re-signed uh, Contavious Caldwell-Pope. Uh, do you think they're being underestimated? No, I mean, as far as I think most people think they have a pretty good chance to make the playoffs as a, you know, six, seven or eight seed. But I mean, if Kyle Kuzma thinks anybody's going to go out there and pick them to win the West over the Rockets of the Warriors, he's crazy. Uh, I mean, it's just, I don't think that's insulting either. I mean, I think you'd ask LeBron that and he would have kind of realistic expectations there. I think it's funny because I wish you could get like a, a list of all the historical quotes that players make in the offseason about being disrespected right. and how many times that the media and the analysts are are actually kind of right and it has nothing to do with disrespect it's just about us stating the obvious i think that i mean the, the odds when they got lebron went up what like four like th their win total went up like 14 if i'm not mistaken i don't know we covered it on the show but anyway it jumped to like 48 yeah. and a half like that's not a disrespectful thing bro that's that's pretty much um that's pretty much what lebron represents to any given team now could you guys wind up being better than that? Yeah, dude. Obviously, I think there's some pieces in place where, you know, if you got the best version of Rondo uh, and Lance Stevenson is on the reservation and you can get JaVale to buy in and do what he does, like there's an opportunity there for you guys to exceed some expectations, especially because I think teams like Houston are going to kind of regress to the mean a little bit. I think they've lost uh, some of that defensive prowess on the perimeter. Like the league's got to beat on what they want to do. That's not taking anything away from Mike D'Antoni, who's fantastic. Offensively, but I mean, they're, they're they're right now that they're the third favorite to win the West, which I think might be overrating them. To be honest, like you know, I mean, it's the Warriors, Rockets, then the Lakers, according to the Vegas odds, with the uh, the uh, the Lakers coming in at plus one thousand. That's better than the Thunder and the Jazz, which you could make a pretty strong case that those teams collectively are better. Now, I think Kyle Kuzma maybe I might have been better saying maybe people are underestimating underestimating LeBron and his ability to carry teams to the finals. But as far as him like saying this is disrespectful, I, I just totally disagree. Yeah, but I mean, I guess the only one thing I'll say for Kyle is like that's the attitude you want to have, right? It's going to be kind yeah. of against the world. Like I, I'm okay with him 
having that attitude. Um, all right, let's keep it moving because Josh Norman uh, had a take on rookie Sam Darnold because uh, the Jets and the Redskins have had those joint practices. So he said, he so far impressed me, and I didn't want him to. I wanted to break all rookies. He's been doing a great job. Um, Norman also added, it's like, dang, Norman, uh, you get rookies in here and you try to mess them, you try to mess them with a little bit, a little bit and bait them a little bit into thinking they're allowing, that you're throwing a rock. Jesus, I can't even read the quote, dude. It's all <laughs> over the place. But anyway, he's been impressed with Sam Darnold, um, yeah. in these joint practices. So do we don't do that in the NBA. Like, what is it? Why would you do a joint practice? Enlighten me on that, first of all. I, I love it. And I loved it as a player because it's so monotonous seeing your guys. Like, it, it really is. Uh, I got a good story for you, though. Uh, it has to do with training with other teams. Yeah. So when I was in the Broncos, we were going to travel uh, to Houston to, to practice with the Texans. And you do it so you get different looks and, you know, you face different defenses because your defense runs one scheme. And then you go to another team, they might do an entirely different scheme. So there is a benefit in it. And you get to, you know, play against different players. Like it gets tiresome going after this, you know, playing against the same defensive backs who know all your routes. They know your, you know, tendencies. And so they can kind of cheat on things. So Mike Shanahan uh, stands in front of the whole team, and he's like, hey, guys, we're going to go to uh, Houston. We have this trip. And he's like, I want everybody to uh, to treat it as a business trip because I know, you know, I don't want to see anybody going out and shopping. He goes, I don't want to see anybody goofing around. He goes, no no women in your rooms. He goes, we're going to run it tight. He goes, you have to treat it as a business trip. So the meeting breaks, and we come back. And so after practice, we're getting ready to watch uh, watch film. With our just our quarterback, so we're in there with Gary Kubiak, and Gary Kubiak's kind of we walk in and he's kind of laughing, he's like shaking his head, and he's like, "You guys are never going to believe what happened." And we're like, "What? What happened?" So apparently, after that meeting, when Mike Shanahan says, "Hey, we're going to have this business trip," he uh, so Clinton Portis, who was the running back from the U, from your U, you know, you probably know CP. (laughs) So apparently, he went up to Mike Shanahan and he was like, "Hey, coach," he's like, "I'm good, I'm good to go, you know, I'm good to go on the trip, but." You can't really expect me to go a whole week without any ladies, do you? <laughs> and he said it. He said it a little bit more colorfully than I just did. Yeah, you can imagine I, what he yeah. said. And uh, but we were laughing about that, like it was. But it is. It is fun just to get out of town, just to break the monotony of camp. Like camp is three weeks of just boring football, wall to wall. But to get in a new environment, play against other teams, it, it just changes things up a little bit. I got you. All right. So, the but last for Josh one- Norman to say that, it's like pretty impressive. Like. Josh Norman, I would expect to be the guy who's trying to talk trash and he would throw down or, you know, like say, hey, trash some rookie. And he's trying to bait him into throwing passes that maybe he shouldn't see if he can get a cheap interception. And for him to say he looks pretty good just kind of adds into all this praise, this on Daniel, on Sam Darnold. I'm still kind of cautious. Like all these rookies, we've only seen them play in one game. The thing that is impressive when you start hearing stories out of practice consistently, for Sam Darnold, it's like, uh oh, maybe this kid is as special as we all thought he was going to be. Yeah, that's something you can see even in even like in basketball. I mean, it's different because you're not throwing routes and and there's not a specific defender targeted on on like stopping you from passing the ball. But point is, like in a in a in a practice with a rookie in the NBA, you're looking for not necessarily whether he's scoring a bunch of baskets or not, but you're trying to see if he's tough, if he'll stand up for himself, if he's going to back down, if he's challenged by a vet, um, whether he's got the moxie enough to stick his nose in there and get to the rim, even though the play broke down and it might not have been called for him. You're looking for things that would, that would be, um, 
you know, like characteristics, personality traits of a guy who, who has, uh, the stuff that you would need to be a star in the league. And like kids like Gordon Hayward, when they came in, you know, I went at him really early. Like he was a rook and I'd like to kind of test them physically, right? So we got wrapped up and I kind of, you know, I caught him like leaning or, or wrapped around my leg. And so I kind of dumped him like with an elbow, but you know, he got right up and stuck an elbow right back in my ribs and was boxing me out. And so you could tell that this was a guy who, like the skill set, I hadn't seen enough of it yet. But I remember going home and saying to somebody, like, yo, the kid's built, like his his mental makeup is what you're going to need to have to be good in the league. And then it just wound up that he was just really, really good at everything else. But, you know, those are things that you could certainly start seeing early in camp, no matter what sport you're playing. Um, so here's another guy that's, that's talking about coming back and he's in camp. Carson Wentz, he says, uh, about playing in week one. I think there's been really no secret that it's going to be close. Obviously he suffered that torn ACL slash MCL or LCL, uh, December 10th, um, of last year. What, what do you, uh, where are you at with Carson Wentz? You roll him out, you Nick Foles, you got a quarterback controversy. What's up with that? Why are we rushing it? Why, why does it have to be close? If it's going to be close, then just wait. And I feel like I'm completely stating the obvious and I'm sure every Eagles fan should be thinking the same exact thing. You've got Nick Foles, who's the best option at quarterback that any team in the entire NFL has. He had that incredible stretch run, Super Bowl MVP. It's It doesn't make any sense for me why. I get it from Carson Wentz's standpoint individually. Like, he wants to play. He's going to push his coaches to put him out there. But this is one where Doug Peterson and the medical staff have to say, all right, let's see. If it's close, let's just give it another week because it doesn't matter that much in the bigger picture when you think about Carson Wentz's long-term future. To have him there week one, week two, week three, it doesn't matter. You can still have a pretty good option. So don't even think about rushing it. All right, so this is what Doug Peterson said recently, though. He said, we'll sit down after this game and get together with our medical team, and we'll discuss the next step in his progression. So hopefully Doug Peterson's listening to the pod and he takes your advice, because I agree with you. Don't, <laughs> That's right. No, yeah, real talk. Don't roll them out. There's no there's no real upside for that. So anyway, coming up next, we'll have uh, – you have to hear it. You have to see it. Um, we'll talk about that Maryland football situation. That's coming up next on Off the Bench with Canell and Bell. The best part about that, Raj, you know what the score of the game was? Because you think they're ready to go out there and just drop 70 on the opponent, right? Yeah. Yeah. Let me guess. They got (laughs) smashed. They got smashed, right? 57 to 15. They only put up 15 points and they got absolutely worked in that game. It is like, it was an awesome hype video. Sure. The thing is, and I, when, when we watched our last chance you and we did that bonus pod, which if you haven't heard it and you're listening, you got to go back and listen to that one. Remember when Jason Brown, the first game they played and he had like this incredible, you know, pregame fire. He's cussing at him. The players are all hyped. You have to put in the work leading up to the game. You can't just all of a sudden turn it on in that two minutes before you take the field. It has to be done before or else you're going to get work. But that was awesome pregame, champ. No, like, it was dope. It. I'm old school, though, because anytime teams come in, it happens all the time in AAU basketball. And they come in, and my kids are, like, laying it up, and we're getting our sweat on and stuff. And here they come with the running around the court chanting and who, who. And, like, my kids are conditioned now. I'll ask them. I was like, listen, bro, if a team comes in and they're making all that noise, what's that say? And they'll look at me and they'll be like, they scare coach. And I'll be like, that's absolutely correct. They are scared. They got to nice. do it. If, if they were ready to hoop, they'd come out and hoop. So I say the same thing to this football team. Just go out there and roll it out, bro. Yep. All right, let's move to UFTC it.
All right, what do we got? So we got our boy Zion Williamson. Yep. So he's he's a dunk machine. Like his YouTube dunks have been trending Ooh. for like five years. For him to go from the free, free throw line at his size, like he's he weighs more than LeBron. I think he's a monster. He's a missile, man. That is a problem. I I said to somebody the other day. I think I hope he's an NBA player, but like he probably should have been a football player with that build. No. Yes, absolutely. Like, a tight end or a defensive line, he, he would have been wrecking dudes uh, back there. Did you ever see anybody do a, a free throw line dunk in person? Uh, yeah, I saw, um, what was his name? Samuel D'Alembert, which is pretty incredible because he's like 7-1. Um, I saw him take off. Allen Iverson bet him like $15,000, $10,000. We were in Memphis at a shoot-around, and um, Allen used to have some really colorful names that he called our rookies. Like, he was really good at, like, making up these nicknames, and he called him Dallin Dummy. That was what he called Sammy. <laughs> and he was like, he called him Dallin Dummy, and he bet him a bunch of money that he couldn't do it. And Sammy took off, stretched that 7-1 frame out, and free-throwed it. It was pretty impressive for a big dude like that. Yeah, no doubt. All right, Danny, we touched on it a little bit uh, before we went to break, man. Really sad situation with the University of Maryland football team. Um, tell us what's going on. Yeah, so this is, you know, I think this is every coach's worst nightmare, and obviously so, because they had a 19-year-old offensive lineman, Jordan McNair, and uh, he was going through his off-season workout training programs, which are really tough, right? I mean, they're, they're, they're where coaches try to push you to the limits, and they try to get you to – um, getting the best shape possible. And while he was going under these workouts, he was trying to do these uh, set of 110-yard wind sprints that they're doing at practice. He had a heat stroke, essentially. His body temperature got up to 106 degrees. The the Maryland staff waited for an hour, which is beyond me how they could wait for an hour to call the hospital after he had the seizure due to the heat stroke. And just about two weeks later, he passes away. And it was kind of quiet because that was June 13th. So it got like a few headlines. And then all of a sudden ESPN came out with a report a few days ago. And it talked about how there was this culture of verbal and phys physical abuse at Maryland. So, you know, there's there's all of a sudden there's outrage and people are saying, hey, this team, this staff has to be accountable. So DJ Durkin, their head coach, he was put on administrative leave. Rick Court, the strength and conditioning coach, was put on administrative leave. And then yesterday, I thought you saw an unprecedented press conference when Wallace Lowe, their school president, and Damon Evans, their athletic director, they came out and they said, we accept all responsibility. We apologize to the family. Um, you know, it was a, it's a horrific, uh, uh, tragic uh, set of events that occurred there. And so they accept the responsibility. They apologize to his family, which is a good thing. But there is a very large contingent that has a few questions. And it's really tough to talk about for me because there's no winner here. There's absolutely no winner. You have a young man and a family who lost a son. Like, that is the worst-case scenario. But I don't know what exactly happened. Now, obviously, there were some medical protocols that were just absolutely horrific in how it was handled. And the training staff should be held accountable. And they will, from a financial standpoint. Like, there will be a lawsuit, and the family will be compensated. But there's no amount of money that will bring back their son. But there has been a... A tone from the, you know, kind of the media that's saying, hey, DJ Durkin has to go. They have to clean out the staff. This is a, you know, a major problem. And when I see it, I look at it, I'm like, how do we know it just wasn't an accident? You know, and not, not the handling of it after, but the heat stroke itself, because people want to come out and they want to say, this must have been abuse. This was physical abuse trying to, you know, train these kids. They went too far. And yet, 
I've seen firsthand time after time where you have coaches and their job is to try to motivate you, right? And that's the fine line that coaches walk to me is where they're trying to get you to push your body to the limits and get you to do things and accomplish things that you've never done before. And in either to, in order to get there, they will yell at you. They will push your body to exhaustion. But you know how many times I've seen guys actually be able to do things that they didn't think they could do and they thought they were going to pass out. They thought they couldn't go one step further and yet they found a way to do, you know, two or three more sets of bench press or they found a way to do one more or two more runs up the stadium steps. And then it's this feeling of complete, you know, um, exuberance and completion and sense of satisfaction that you build this person up. Now, obviously, if there's a problem, Raj, at Maryland where they're constantly berating them, they're constantly knocking them down, and there's never that source of lifting them up, then you have a major problem. But I don't know enough about the situation to sit here and say, DJ Durkin has to go. This is a major problem with the way they're training athletes because yeah. I've seen before how much athletes are willing to push their bodies. Yeah, I. so I agree with you. And I'm, I, you hate to marginalize the death of a young man like that. I, and I want to be very... Like I'm very sympathetic, like the, to the family, and and it's just it's a tragedy all the way around when you lose anyone you love, uh, let alone I couldn't even imagine a child. Um, but as it pertains to like Coach Durkin, DJ Durkin, like if he, if his staff um, is in there and they're just not as nice as everyone would want them to be, like I've been on a lot of staffs like that. Like there are a lot of coaches that don't have a lot of good stuff to say to you. Like that's not the world of college athletics or professional athletics. Like that's just not the reality. Like you can't push people and hold people accountable and get them to clear these hurdles by establishing a culture of like love and everybody's going to be, it's just not, it's just not the real world. Um, I, and I agree with you. Like I think there are two separate things, the handling of the incident after you realized the young man was in jeopardy and something very horribly was going wrong. That's a different story, but leading up to that, the training and what it takes to be, a high level athlete, both physically and mentally, um, is, is a whole separate, is a whole separate conversation. And while you are training their bodies to be able to withstand the rigors of whatever the sport is that, that they're playing, you're also training like their minds and clearing mental hurdles is part of this process. Like running one tens, like with the University of Miami football team, like my dad and I both used to both do it in the summertime with them. And I, I didn't, my season wasn't about to start, but I knew that if I could get out there and withstand the heat in South Florida and run in these one tens when I didn't think I could run anymore, that whatever you put in front of me uh, during a basketball season was going to be cake. Like I had cleared that mental hurdle already. And so then when I get to the coaching side of it and I'm dealing with high school kids and you're dealing with even my youth program, that's a big part of it. And when you see a kid clear a mental hurdle and and have a little bit of pride about himself even though he's gasping for wind after and you brought it in and you've said like one two three whatever you're going to say but you see that kid go over to his parent and the parent's like hey bud you did it and the kid's got like a a sense of accomplishment on his face like that's part of the joy of coaching too you know like you've helped a kid conquer something that he didn't think he could do um and so it's a very fine line between like trying to achieve those goals physically uh, and emotionally, um, and mentally, and then, you know, pushing a guy a little bit past his limit, but achieving. Anytime I hear, anytime I hear culture of physical and verbal abuse, I get a little bit nervous about the conversation, the way it's going to go, because I think some people have different 
picture, a different picture, a different idea of what that looks like. Well, and typically, it, it like, are, typically those are people that haven't had much to do with sports, in my opinion. Like you just haven't played a right. sport at a very high level. If 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 that's what you're, you know, those are the pictures and the words that you're using to paint said picture. Like you, you, typically, you're not a person that's done a whole lot. Right. And, and that's, that's what's hard for people to comprehend because they've never been in those situations. And I would say this, there are a lot of times when, you know, high school, college athletes, they don't want to practice. They don't, they're kind of lazy sometimes and they need to be yelled at. They need to be, sure. you know, uh, you know, kind of dressed down in front of people to kind of wake them up and to push them to do things. The, the real issue I think that you have, and it's very similar to military. Now, like the NFL or the, the football training regimen, a lot of times it is like a boot camp where you have a drill sergeant who's yelling at you, who's berating you, who's telling you, you know, you got to do this, you got to get up. You know, if you don't, you're mo- you know, like they call you every name in the book to try to get you out of it. But then in the military and in, you know, sports, there should be a process of breaking you down and then building you up. And if there's right. never any build up, if there's never any accomplishment, if there's never any graduation from that where you kind of go, all right, I've proven, you know, I can do this. Then you have a problem. And that's what I truly don't know if that happened at Maryland. If it wasn't, it was just constant berating and no, never any encouragement. Then yeah, that's a problem. But I'm nowhere in a position to sit here and say, DJ Durkin has to go. It was a culture of physical and verbal abuse. The, the strength coach did resign and there was some stuff that came out in the reports. Like apparently he made a kid watch practice and had him eat because he missed his weight and he made him eat until he puked. Like that's crossing the line. You know, right. apparently there was another incident where he went up to somebody in the cafeteria who was carrying his food and he like flipped his food out of his hand. That stuff is just unnecessary to me. But when it's training and you're outside and there's, you know, a, a yelling at you, um, you know, it's, but each case I think should be looked at individually. And a lot of times it's really hard to discern which one is better or which one is right. And it's just, I think it is a lot of programs are going to have to really evaluate the way they train and the way they treat their players because now you're going to have a huge push. That's going to say, we can't yell at our players. We can't, you know, we can't do certain things. And that makes me nervous. Yeah. It could change the landscape of like training across the, the spectrum of college sports, which is like, if you can't train them, then your product's going to really suffer. And that's going to open up a whole nother, whole nother can of worms. Anyway, let's throw it to break, yeah. Danny. When we come back, we'll get to some socially relevant stuff, uh, and some fun stuff in, uh, in our leftovers. Uh, that's up next on Off the Bench with Canel and Bell. All right, it's time now for Socially Relevant, where I break down what's happening around the world in social media. And we're going to start with training camp. There's a lot of training camp shenanigans going on today. This one, the first one to start, is definitely off of the field. So the Broncos rookies participated in that traditional team bonding haircut yesterday. Brandon Marshall posted this video in all of its glory. You can see these guys. Some of these haircuts are so bad. Danny, this reminds me of the time that you decided to bleach your hair. Am I right? Yeah, that was yeah, that was that was actually much older. I wasn't a rookie. I wish I had that excuse. Oh. The thing is, like, uh, this is the worst of all of them as far as rookie hazing goes. It's like you know, the singing is one thing. You've got other stuff you have to do. But for grow, like these guys are 22, 23 years old. Like I shaved my head as a freshman at Florida State. And then the thing is, though, Raj, they should be required to keep these haircuts for a week because then they can just go in and shave them off. Right. Make them keep these crazy things for a week. I think they have to go through one practice with them, but just make them make them wear it like out in public. That's yeah. that's what's truly embarrassing for them. I like that. A week, a couple weeks. <laughs> I like that. Um, yeah. Do you? But do you know how long it takes to like cultivate that big wig that the dude with like the reddish hair had? Like that's yeah. a lot of hair to have chopped off. My favorite hazing thing ever was the FIU baseball team would bring their young guys 
they would strip them down to their drawers and they tape them to like a, a rolling chair, like oh. the one I'm sitting on now. And they bring yeah. them to parties all taped up. And they just have to wheel around the party, like all taped up in like this, like packing tape. Um, it was, I, I thought it was hilarious. It was awesome. That is great. I guarantee you that's outlawed now. I guarantee you. And like, <laughs> it's like a school policy across sure. the country. Like you're not allowed to do that. So people are a little too worried about the hazing stuff nowadays. I do remember seeing one of Tim Tebow, if I'm right. And he yeah, had, he had the fryer head. Yeah. Yeah. His awful. hair was all shaved up here and then the sides just went out. Oh, it was so bad. <laughs> so bad. <laughs> All right, guys, now to a real training camp incident. So things are heating up in Cleveland. Take a look at this one. Jarvis Landry fell to the ground after Terrence Mitchell tried to to get the ball from him. And when Landry got back up, he chucked the ball straight into Mitchell's face. You can actually, if you hear the sound, you can hear it smack against his helmet. Obviously, the two got after it at that point. So, guys, is this healthy competition or are these guys taking it too far here? Oh, it's totally healthy. What's Jarvis Landry yelling, bless him, bless him, because that's all he's doing on hard knocks. Is he's going around like saying, God bless you, bless him to everybody. It doesn't seem like he's uh, anointing him with any blessings there when they're going at the brawl. That's the, I think that's to your point about like when, once you've been after, uh, like you've been in the practice with the same guys over and over again for weeks, those two positions are going at it almost every day. <clears throat> Excuse me. Yep. That stuff starts to build up. It, it happens all the time, man. Those guys are fine. Right. right. They'll they'll be in the locker room laughing about it yeah. later. Okay, good. So Jets wide receiver Terrell Pryor is back to practicing with his old teammates during a joint practice with Washington, and they don't seem too happy to see each other. On Tuesday, Pryor went one-on-one with Redskins' Monte Nicholson, and he was unable to hang on in the end zone, and this is where it got bad, guys. Redskins safety DJ Swearinger wanted to get his word in. He faked one at Pryor, and Pryor completely bought it and flinched so bad. Guys, this has to be so embarrassing for Pryor. Right? Yeah, bro, that's a bad flinch. Like, what? But first of all, you got a damn helmet on. What are you flinching for? Right? Exactly. You got you to stand in there. Now, you talk about getting worn out in a film session later because the whole – in his own team, Darrell Pryor's teammates will be wearing him out about that. Like, they'll be messing with him for the rest of the year, like coming up and faking on him to see if he's going to do it again. Like, that is a – that's an embarrassing one. You get punked that bad – He's, he's gonna, he might have, there might, and there was a fight, like bigger fight at practice. Maybe that's what spurned it, that move right there. He had to stand up for his manhood on that one. I'm saying DJ Swearinger's a little dude too. Terrell, you had him by a whole helmet and like, oh man. That 100% just reminds me of being little and arguing with my brothers and they would do that and I would (laughs) But I was a little girl, so Terrell Pryor's got some work to do. Alright guys, over to the NBA now. So there's been a lot of talk with Ben Simmons and that he might be shooting with the wrong hand. So yesterday, there was an article posted suggesting that he should switch to his right hand this season. Ben Simmons responded with a cry laughing emoji. Is he wrong to not take this seriously? No, he's absolutely right. Like that's ridiculous at this point. I mean, Tristan Thompson is the only player that I know that has switched hands. He switched hands on his free throw shooting after like years one and two, I think. Um, and it's worked for him, but he still doesn't have a smooth stroke. Um, no, you're big and he's a big, yeah, dude, you shoot with the hand that, that you've been shooting with for the last five or six years. Now it's about repping it out. Um, working on that jump shot in the summertime, like really perfecting the craft, but switching hands is a bad idea right now. Yeah, totally dumb. I know for a fact that Ben Simmons right now is on vacation in Mexico with Kendall Jenner, Tristan Thompson, and Khloe Kardashian. Oh, <laughs> so, so I'm not normally not one to side graph. with him, but I respect the fact that he's not taking anything seriously because it's not nice. All right, elsewhere around the league, a video was a, a video a video was posted of Jalen Brown. He was playing the piano, and Danny Ainge definitely had some shade for him. He responded to this one saying, "Quote: I hope this helps your handles." 
Uh, this lines up perfectly with what we were talking about yesterday, guys, with the NBA being more active on all social media platforms. What do you guys have to say about GMs publicly calling their guys out like this? I, I like that. He should. It's like digital dexterity. Of course, it's going to help my ball handling. I'm working on my like, the finger movement. Oh, come on. I love it from the perspective that Ainge, being a former player, feels pretty comfortable talking a little smack with his players. Like, cause that's, I don't think he's seriously coming down on him. He's just playing it out there. Like, I don't think that's helping your hand. Like, I love it. I love the fact that he's out there calling him out, but I am with you. I think it actually could help him if he was a good piano player. Yep, no doubt. And I, I like that too, Danny, cause I think you see that when they play and when Danny Ainge is over there on the sideline, they've got a, They've got an organization where, like, they all feel comfortable with each other. You know what I mean? And Danny starts that process having been a player and having, like, you know, kind of a finger on the pulse of, of, of what players need on a day-to-day basis. And I think you see that translate to their on-the-court product. I believe the whole thing, um, you know, being well-oiled and being on the same page presents a better product when they hit the court. Well, that's all I've got for Socially Relevant. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Canel and Bell. Now, coming up on Off the Bench, we've got Leftovers. Coming up next, stay with us. All right, welcome back to Off the Bench with Canell and Bell. Uh, we got some leftovers, Danny. So apparently, uh, Des Bryant is set to visit the Browns on Thursday. Um, their current wide receiver depth chart, they got Dar- Jarvis Landry, Antonio Callaway, Rashard Higgins, Jeff Janis. Um, we've talked about Des before and whether he'd be a good fit for, for Cleveland. Heck yeah, he'd be a good fit if he's in shape. Like when he tweeted out, he's like, I'm going to do it on my own time. I'm not quite ready yet. I'm like, why aren't you ready at the drop of a hat? But you add him to that core and he's got it. I'm telling you, this Cleveland Browns team, I kind of like him. I feel like I'm falling victim to the whole hard knocks thing. Cause I don't know if you've watched hard knocks. You got to watch it this season. It's pretty good. And you're seeing a lot of like in-depth look at behind the scenes personalities, but he could absolutely help them. So I think it'd be a pretty good signing. What is the situation with the kid Gordon there? Because I keep wanting to say his name when I, but he's never referenced. Is he just? Is this an indefinite so thing where he's it, gone? Yeah, so they've hit it twice, like right at the open of Hard Knocks. They haven't gone too in deep in it, but he's obviously had a long list of issues dealing with, you know, uh, he got busted a couple times for smoking right. weed, missed an entire season. He's also had a couple driving under the influence issues. But then I think more importantly and more concerning is that there's been some mental health stuff that's going on. And that's what he kind of told the Brown staff was I need to get myself healthy. But if you put him out there, like he is, he was at one time a top five receiver in the league. Obviously that was a while ago. We haven't seen him stay healthy, but I'm sure. And they're all kind of like, they keep giving this update. Like he's still not in camp. They haven't really given any details other than that. So, uh, how about, did you ever, write a letter of thanks to any of your former teams. I'm sure you did because you probably meant more than them. So Carmelo <laughs> Anthony, he spends one year in OKC, and he comes out and writes this illustrious letter to the fans saying things don't always turn out how you want. I mean, is this a little over the top? Yeah, again, this is these are all signs um, that Melo thinks he's – Better than he is at this point in his career. No, seriously. And I don't even, I'm not throwing shade at Mello, but all of these are indicators of like you thinking that people really, really care that you've left and they don't in OKC. Like all of the numbers were down across the board. Like it's 16.2 points a game down for 25. Um, the field goal percentage was down like, you know, five, four, four percent, something like that. You're just not the player that you were a few years ago. And while they may have cared back then, um, they've got Russell Westbrook. They got Paul George. You didn't mean that much to them. Everyone can see that, but mellow at this point. So that's what the letter speaks to for me. Um, 
I think he'll I think he'll help there in okay I mean in uh Houston uh, and I've said this before offensively at times but I just don't think he's the answer for them going forward or even defensively right now and that's going to cost Houston some games unfortunately this year but Melo bro you got to start you got to start understanding who you are maybe maybe coming off the bench um and and relishing that role will help him transition into that next chapter in his career cuz I like Melo I think he's a really good player um, speaking about another guy who's got to transition possibly, Robinson Cano was reinstated uh, after his 80 game drug suspension. Uh, what would, what would your approach be coming back from 80 games? So this is the thing that's kind of unique about this one is that because it was PEDs, he comes back, but he's not going to be allowed to play in the pro, uh, postseason. The Mariners in this fight, they're, they're not going to win their division with the Astros and Athletics ahead of them, but they could be in a wild card situation. Uh, and what's really kind of messed up about all this, so he's allowed to come back and play the regular season, but he can't play in the postseason. And then the team that's probably going to win the division is the Astros. They had Roberto Osuna, who they just traded for. He just finished up a 75-game suspension for uh, a domestic violence issue. And it was pretty ugly if you look in some of those details. And he is allowed to play for the postseason. It's just kind of confusing when you look at it. Like, that doesn't make any sense whatsoever um in this race but as far as Cano coming back I'm sure it'll be a little bit of a process him getting back in the swing of things but just baseball needs to kind of they have they have really good policies and they're usually pretty on top of things but this is one where you look at it it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense um all right speaking about some policies right this seems to be a trend in football right you've got people incentivizing like fans to either go out to the games or to support so you got the Lions who slashed their food prices uh hot dogs and soda are down Two dollars beer and cocktails as low as three dollars. Um, North Texas football is having a pro wrestling event in conjunction, kind of with the football game, to get people to come out. And then obviously the Browns have this celebratory fridge where they got these special fridges at all of these different uh, bars in Cleveland. If you happen to be there uh, when the Browns get their first win, then it'll magically like unlock and people get free Bud Light. So like, what, what, <laughs> which one would you Love rather it. do? Like, what you want the you I- want the the free beer? Do you want the $2 beer and, and, and cocktails? Like, which one's your favorite? Free beer is always nice, but you might be waiting on it if Cleveland doesn't That's the thing, right? There's no guarantee. They're probably going to go 0-2 pretty early. You know what I think is pretty cool, and I'm not just saying this because I might be calling one of their games this season, is North Texas giving you a bonus event. Like, you go, not only you get to see a football game, but you get to see a pro wrestling event. Like, I remember as a kid going to uh, Fort Lauderdale Striker Games, the soccer. It was the old MLS and after, right there at Lockhart Stadium, there was like this dirt track. And so my dad and I would walk over, and I'm not like a, a go-kart racer type guy, but it was insane to see like these go-kart racing go around after the game. So we get like two events for the price of one. I'd take that all day long. I'm taking the hot dogs down to $2 and the cocktails <laughs> yeah. at $3, bro. Because I, I took like – with kids. I know, Dude, I go to a football game now. It's $100 just on like food and drinks. That's not even counting the tickets. Yeah, exactly. It gets pricey. Crazy pricey anyway dude hey it was good to have you back bro take it easy on the ping pong table today don't hurt your wrist or your elbow (laughs) or anything like that all right i'll go mellow i'll keep it mellow nice and friendly although i'm not letting anybody win i'm still gonna win all right there you go handle your business man we're back tomorrow we've got david sampson back on board tomorrow um you guys can go follow us check us out on on um anywhere where you find your podcast off the bench with canel and bell danny be easy brother see you next time 